This is a public service announcement. Listener discretion is advised, as this episode contains copious swearing and references to bodily functions. Welcome once again into the Radiopedia Reading Room, a podcast unconcerned with books or poetry, tea leaves or palmistry. It's a radiology podcast. My name is Andrew Dixon and joining me like a titan, supporting the (laughs) radiological heavens upon his chiseled shoulders, it's my co-host, Frank Gaylard. Either you finally come to the realisation and are willing to publicly admit that I'm carrying this podcast pretty much on my own, (laughs) or perhaps more likely this has got to have something to do with the cervical spine. Yes, yes, I was (laughs) comparing you to the Greek titan Atlas because today's episode is a readful about the AO spine classification of upper cervical injury. So, yeah, C1, Atlas, you get it, mate. Yep. It was either that or try to do something related to Hangman's fracture, but I reckon that could have got pretty morbid pretty quickly. (laughs) There's enough of that in the world right now. Let's stick to ancient Greece. No need for a noose. (laughs) Now, before we do that, we've actually received quite a critical email. You too, Um, huh? I think we need to actually address it before we we go on. Indeed, if we can go on. (laughs) Is this anything to do with your various racial slurs and Irish accents, etc.? No, only positive feedback about that, mate. <laughs> so this one is from a radiologist named Guy in the UK who writes, loving the podcast, disappointed though that the intro says that it is unconcerned with tea leaves. Reading tea leaves is called tassiography, which Ooh. is a fantastic word, and I use it frequently when talking about chest X-rays or nuclear medicine studies. <laughs> it is a bit like reading tea leaves. It is indeed. And then he goes on to suggest that uh, we should change the intro of the podcast to a podcast unconcerned with books or poetry, tassiography or palmistry. What do you reckon? I, I think that's a winner for sure. I have a real soft spot for uh, uncommon words. Um, I know this will shock you and, and many of our listeners, but I went through a period of writing down in a little notebook any strange word that I came across <laughs> while I was reading and then going and looking them up, particularly ones that had some little interesting etymology yep. like, uh, I don't know, draconian or hooligan or those kind of words. So I'm all for including something like tassiography. Okay, well... You're actually going to be happy with this next little section that I have planned here because normally in our readful episodes, we play a quick game of spot the fake, but I'm mixing things up this week. So I'm going to play a new game with you and it's a very short-lived game. It's called (laughs) Guess the (laughs) Graphy. So I've got two interesting words that end in (laughs) graphy, right? And your task is to correctly guess the meaning of each You've got to come up with a meaning yourself, actually, not just guess it, but actually full on pull it out. Mm. I picked out two, just two here. And if you can get both of these right, you win a Toyota Corolla. (laughs) So (laughs) the first one is cacography, (laughs) C-A-C-O-graphy. And then the second one is hagiography or hagiography, H-A-G-I-O-graphy. Hagiography, I should know, but I'm struggling. I'll come back to it. Cacography is obviously the study of cac. (laughs) (laughs) 
like the marquee de Sade or something. Ha- like, has has like it fe- spelled? Fecal smearing on the yeah. walls. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Has it spelled? C A C O. Graphic. Oh, cacography. Hmm. Caco. No, mm-hmm. got nothing there. It's not cocoography. Study of chocolate, but that's of cacao. No, no, no it's not. No. No, I. Um, Do you want me to use it in a sentence, perhaps? Yeah, go on. All right, here you go. <laughs> no one enjoyed Frank's cacography. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear hagiography hey, in a sentence? Yeah, yeah I should. No one enjoyed Frank's hagiography. <laughs> I have a feeling hagiography hey was something to do with like family history or heraldry or ancestry mm-hmm. or something like that. That's the the link I had. I don't I'm low probability there. I'll give you the answers, mate. So you haven't yep. won the Toyota Corolla, but no. that's okay. That's okay. We're going to learn something. So cacography or cacography is bad handwriting or bad spelling. Oh. Yeah, from the Greek kakos, meaning bad. And in the sense of poor handwriting, it's the entomological antonym of the word calligraphy. You've heard of that one. Yes, I have. Meaning beautiful writing. Um, And in the sense of poor spelling, it's the semantic antonym to orthography. Orthography meaning the conventions of writing language. So that's really interesting because I'd never thought that calligraphy had a positive meaning i thought it was neutral i thought it was just how you wrote i didn't know that it meant that it was pretty no, so that's pretty. really interesting it's got all the little curls and well, stuff yeah too. i know but i always thought mm. it was just how you write rather than beautiful writing so you have taught me something there you go but there's something a little bit more interesting i think with with the cacography so um, it can also refer to a deliberate comic misspelling a type oh. of humor similar to malapropism or satirical misspelling and creatively cacography can be used to imply that something is written by a child so you might deliberately misspell things or use bad punctuation but this is the, this is the best bit to voice a cute or funny animal such as in memes <laughs> <laughs> you know you can ask um open ai to write its answers while pretending to be a child, and then it'll put spelling mistakes. Yeah. And, well, that's an uh, example of cacography. cacography. And you probably heard of the word cacophony as well. Yes. Which is oh, a harsh so discordance sound. of sounds. Yeah. yeah. There you go, hey? Yeah, all right. Now, all makes sense now. Now I feel bad that sense. I didn't get it. <laughs> hey, geography. Yeah, I thought you had a chance of getting that one, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so, hey, geography is a biography of of a saint or other religious figure, hagios meaning holy. But by modern extension, it's used to refer to an idealised biography. So it's kind of like a pejorative reference to biographies whose authors are being overly generous. Or those ones that they pay for their own biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it says here, it says excessively reverential towards their subject. Yes. So I can almost (laughs) guarantee that the mother of the podcast, my mum, Yes. will be very disappointed that I didn't get that because oh. they're exactly the kind of words and etymology that she would get. And she's probably writing a, a hagiography of you at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no. little, little angel boy. Yes. All right, well, there you go. That was fun. That was, we, uh, that was good. Let's do every week let's ask Frank things he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move on? Before we do that, though, I have a small erratum that I need to issue and this is to do with a few weeks ago 
I mentioned the uh, macaroni cocktail, which is a take on the Negroni, but using mm-hmm. that macadamia nut liqueur, which you tried and you thought it was too sweet, didn't you? Yeah, I, I ended up adding some Campari to it as well, and then it was okay. But yeah, okay. I just need that little bit of bitter, I reckon. Uh, maybe it's also on the vermouth that you're using. Who knows? Anyway, Could be. The, uh, not the wife of the podcast, because that's your wife, but mm-hmm. my wife, who's not the wife of the podcast, she does not listen to the podcast, but she was overseas at a conference and a radiologist came up to her and uh, was asking her for the recipe for the macaron because <laughs> he listened to the podcast. Oh, that's good. And she got, so she was like, what, what are you talking about? And she said, I bet he didn't say that it was my invention and my naming. Oh, she came up with it. She claims that she came up with the name. I have no recollection of that, which is a side effect of drinking too many macaronis. <laughs> you could say that. Your cocktail was so good. I got amnesia. I <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. So where was she in Spain and somebody came up to her? She was, yeah. Oh, and interestingly, impressive. and kind of I think she was a bit annoyed by this, but a number of people came up to her having recognised her from the lectures that she gave uh, both during lockdown, where we did that series of pathology yep. tutes, but also from uh, the various conferences. And um, she likes her anonymity, whereas people oh. coming up and... She didn't like her. that. No. She just wanted to sit in the back of the conference and Hermione Granger it up. She's not in the back of the conference. Front oh, row. Front row with hand the vertical That's to right. answer the question. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, mate, we better get on to the actual useful learning here. So this is a readful I recorded earlier in the week with... Imran Lasker, who's a radiologist in the UK, I think first time on the podcast. And it's all about, as I said earlier, the AO spine classification of upper cervical injuries. And this is something that spine surgeons are using these days to help standardize the management of spinal injuries. So let's listen in. And then Frank and I will be back with a little more of our usual cacophony in the outro. (laughs) Good, good. Joining me now in the reading room all the way from London, England, it's MSK radiologist, podcasting, TikTokying, gym junkieing superstar. It's the one and only Imran Lasker. How are you doing, mate? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, um, yeah, I'm really, really glad. And I, I do like the uh, what TikToking, gym junkieing. Yeah, I don't know how that ended up being a thing. I just, yeah, messing around with an app that I probably am too old for, from what I understand. That's you, mate. That's you in a nutshell. <laughs> Now, usually when I record these readful episodes of the podcast, I'm joined by an actual expert in the field and they bring high-level knowledge to the topic. But today you've informed me that you bring no special interest whatsoever to this topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like to say I'm still learning. Um, And I, I, I know I've got the label of being a musculoskeletal radiologist, but I feel like I'm more of a I love general radiology. I do. I, I'm genuinely one of these weird people who turn up and listen to talks. They've got nothing to do with me. And sometimes there'll be things that aren't entirely related to your subspecialty that still mm-hmm. seem to have something to do with it or just the appearance of something. Like, oh, okay, well, maybe that happens with an MSK thing as well. So um, I like to say I'm a, I'm a very generalist with a reluctant uh, push towards MSK. I think that's the podcast, actually. We've kind of learned that so far, even though Frank and I primarily do neuroradiology. Almost Mm. every episode that we listen to that's not neuroradiology, there's still something that you can take away from it. So I think it's that kind of generalist in all of us, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. So today we've decided Mm. to try and 
take on, try and make sense of the Radiopedia article on AO spine classification of upper cervical injuries. So this will be a podcast where two people try to understand a Radiopedia article that is trying to understand a classification system, which is trying to understand upper cervical spine injuries. So lots of layers <laughs> to this one. Yeah. <laughs> lots of levels, one might say. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> oh, yes. Very well played. <laughs> Imran, I'm going to give people a little indication of when we're recording this, just in case the article changes in the future. So this is recorded somewhere between Australia winning the first test match of the 2023 Ashes and moving towards winning the second test, but not quite there yet. God, cricket, isn't that a bit boring? Oh, God, I don't have the patience for anything these days. (laughs) (laughs) I've got some random questions as well, Imran, as Mm. we go along. So I'll, I'll throw those in for you so we can learn a little bit more about the man that is Doc Lasker on social media. Uh, but for now, how about we uh, we make a start? Yeah, go for it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So the AO spine classification of upper cervical injuries is a concise and comprehensive system for categorizing the spectrum of traumatic bony and ligamentous injuries involving the occipital condyles, the atlas, C1, and or the axis, C2. And then the next section mm. is usage. The AO spine upper cervical classification system is relatively new, having been described in 2018 and shown to have reproducibility in a pilot study published in 2020. Adoption is not yet widespread, and at many institutions, injuries will still be described using more traditional terminology or site-specific classification systems. Nonetheless, the AO spine classification highlights important unifying principles and uses terminology that is common with the more popular AO spine classifications of injuries in the subaxial cervical spine and thoracolumbar spine. We might come back to these another time, Imran. Mm. As such, being familiar with the overall structure, key features, and terminology is worthwhile. That's the end of the intro. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, every every place has got their own way of doing things, isn't it? That's what, I mean, especially the case in the UK where you've got different levels of activity, as it were, like you get sort of general hospitals and more subspecialist hospitals. Mm-hmm. What's the kind of local practice where you, you're at? I mean, are you at a very specialist center where this kind of thing yeah. comes up? Yeah, I work at a, a level one trauma center. And just over the last few years in particular, I've noticed that the AO spine classification seems to be coming up more and more often in the trauma meetings. Mm. So the trauma doctors and the spine surgeons are using that terminology. We haven't got to the point where we're actually incorporating it directly into our reports, but I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to maybe have some awareness of how the classification goes, you know, what kind of features am I looking for so that I have a little bit more knowledge and can communicate with them. What about you? What's your practice? Uh, in truth, what we, what I do a lot of teleradiology and, um, and I also work at a sort of a more district general hospital, which is kind of a more generalist area rather than being a level one trauma center. So I find that a lot of my reports have to sort of cater from, I don't want to say the, for the very most junior person all the way to as senior mm-hmm. person as I can manage. What I find when we're using sort of these sort of classifications, sometimes if you just leave the classification, people are, okay, so is it broken or not broken? Like, what do I do? And so we have to kind of take into consideration that when you're reporting for so many places and my own local place, I've got to do a combination of things. And so if I do use a classification, I've also got to try and explain like what that classification is about. But I can imagine already, like what, as we go through this, classification systems do enable you to make sure first you don't miss things and also are paying attention to what may actually be important that you weren't aware of before. And and I think that's hopefully what we'll both learn from this or me more, more than you, I guess. 
Mate, I, I'm unaware of this classification, so I'm, I'm <laughs> learning just as much as you here. We're about to get into the actual classification here. So it says, hmm. classification, injuries are divided into three sites and then further subdivided according to the injury type. Additional modifiers are then used to indicate the presence of neurological signs and other potentially relevant clinical factors. So that's a kind of little overview at the top of this section of, you know, about what's to come in the rest of the article. Mm. So the first section after this is going to be called uh, morphology. So we'll learn about sites and types of injuries, and that's the bigger section. And then after that, the second section is the neurological signs. And then the third one, the final section is the modifiers. So let's get into morphology and sites. Injuries are first categorized anatomically based on the condyle slash vertebra involved or its caudal joint. And there's three types, or three sites, I should say. Uh, Site one is the occipital condyle and the craniocervical junction, so the occipital cervical joint complex. Then site two is the C1 ring and the C12 joints, so the atlantoaxial joints. And then site number three is the C2 and the C2-3 joint. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? So you've actually sort of put bits of anatomy together to be the different levels that you're looking at, um, which isn't too bad and actually kind of tells you what's important, isn't it? Because it tells you that, okay, um, generally speaking, if you've got an occipital and condylar injury, you're going to have an injury of the craniosurvical junction as well. So that's something mm-hmm. to pay attention to. You know, I don't know if you've heard this phrase that, you don't see what you don't know. And so if you're looking at an isolated injury of the C1 ring, you may not think beyond the C1 ring unless you're aware of this classification. Mm-hmm. If you notice, it's always kind of the bone above and paired with the joint below. So, you know, the yeah. occipital condyles with the atlanto-occipital joints is site one and then C1 and the atlantoaxial joints is site two and then C2 and the C2-3 disc and facets are site three. Mm. That, I think, works quite well. It's interesting that in the AO spine examples that they give, they tend not to actually refer to site one, site two, or site three. They instead kind of just give it names like OC, meaning occipital condyle or occipital cervical mm. junction. They you know specify C1 or C12 and C2 or C23. So they kind of revert back to just referring mm. to the levels in there rather than site one, two, and three. But I think the main takeaway from here is that there are three. There's only three. Yeah. There's three spots, yeah, yeah. site one, site two, and site three. And the idea that the disc can be related to the underlying osseous injury, and especially on CT, you you can forget that, can't you? You can sort of just get so focused on the fracture, not realizing that the the disc below could also be involved. Yeah. All right, so we've dealt with the site, the three sites. Now we're going to move on to the second part of morphology, Imran, and this is the injury type. Mm -hmm. So I'll start reading again. So injury types, there's A, there's B, and there is, guess? (laughs) Type C. (laughs) Oh, mate, you're a genius. So the injury subtypes (laughs) are hierarchical descriptors that progress from stable to unstable. The highest severity of injury at a given level determines the designation. So I think that means, yeah, if you have two injuries at the same site, you Mm. know, like a non-displaced dense fracture and maybe a C23 facet dislocation, then the more unstable injury, so the dislocation in this case, would be the one that you use for defining the type, yeah? Hmm. Let's continue on. So there, now we have a little description of what type A, type B, and type C are. So type A, this is a bony injury only, a bony injury without significant ligamentous or tension band or disc injury, and it's considered stable. So type A, isolated bony injury. Type B is a tension band or ligamentous injury. 
So this can be with or without a bony injury, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And importantly, it's without complete separation of anatomic integrity, so not a dislocated spine. We're just talking about evidence of a ligamentous or tension band injury without anatomic disruption or gross anatomic disruption. And these are considered stable or unstable depending on the injury specific. And mm-hmm. then type C are the translational injuries. So these are significant vertebral translation in any plane, so anterior, mm-hmm. posterior, or supero-inferior, and separation of anatomic integrity through a joint or a disc, and these are obviously considered unstable. So I'll test you here, Imran. What was a type A again? Oh, no. Oh, uh, I'm not very good at tests. Can't just sit there and watch, mate. You've got to listen. <laughs> I was happy for you to do all the like the heavy lifting. Um, okay, look, they get worse as they go go on. Yeah, so type A to C. Okay, so C is bad. A is not so bad. But we'll go with that, right? So type A is the bone only with no ligamentous injury. Um, yes, no good. disc injury, I guess, and probably stable. Mm-hmm. Uh, di- type B is going to be in between the two, right? So. Um, so, I mean, so you've got a bone injury, most likely. You've got a bit of a ligamentous injury, uh, maybe not so much of a separation. And, you know, because of type B, you can be between the two. So unstable versus... It, 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 I love those kind of ty- types where they say, like, uh, it's prominent or maybe might not be. So it could be or might not be stable. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then type C is where, yeah, mate, you're in trouble. Um, you've got translational injuries, vertebral translation, plane, you know, all planes, yeah. separation anatomically. Yeah, and then you just got it like that. As Craig Hacking, so, who teaches a trauma radiology course with me, would say, type C is going to be the one that the janitor can spot from the back of the room. And, you know, they look <laughs> at the smile and they go, uh, that's not right. <laughs> There's yeah, something wrong there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you passed that test, Imran, but let me test you a little yeah. bit further. So, all right, oh, if someone has a burst fracture of C1, right, a Jefferson's okay. fracture, let's say they've got an injury to the transverse atlantal ligament such that there's you know a little bit of lateral mass overhang but not gross dislocation so what mm-hmm. ao type do you think that'd be now remember i want the site as well as the letter so birth fracture c1 so you're looking at like c1 so c1 would make it two so type two yes and then you said uh so in- injury of some of the ligaments so we're probably looking mm-hmm. at type b we haven't said any translation or anything like that so we're not going to go all the way to c so there's not a complete mess up this is going to be well, like a type 2B injury. Yeah, I'm going to go with type yeah, 2B. Perfect. Smashed it. <laughs> Just like Australia in the test match. So, And it wouldn't matter <laughs> if it was like an anterior or a posterior arch fracture for mm. this one right, in the AO classification, right? Whereas mm. I think in like the, I think it's the Gerweiler classification of C1 fractures that's often used, that does kind of subclassify things as to whether it's anterior or posterior arch. So the AO spine doesn't really care which part of C1 Mm. is fractured that doesn't really enter into it it's really is there a fracture and then is there any ligamentous involvement and then is there any translation that's the three things rather than necessarily the site although you know in your report obviously you're going to list where the actual fracture runs right yeah exactly and if you're in doubt go for b <laughs> with all these things it's, i mean the, the, the most important thing really is is it stable or unstable and that's the ultimate question as to what people are trying to find and i think as radiologists as much as you want to give them a straightforward answer, you can't always give them a straightforward answer. And that's where these classifications become quite useful in terms of being able to quantify the possibility or probability that something is going to be unstable versus unstable. So I can see how this is actually quite a useful classification to to use, actually. Now, at this point, Imran, the article goes on mm. to list lots of specific examples, which I think are actually going to be good to go through. So just to you know reinforce okay. this concept. But before we do that, I think we need to take a little break 
So how about one of my random questions? Are you up for that? Yeah, go for it, mate. Yeah, hit me. Go for it. <laughs> you sounded hesitant. <laughs> I often like to start with this one, so it's quite an easy one. How mm. would your parents describe what you do? Um, it's a good question, actually. So my parents were actually just okay with me being a doctor. I think there was a bit of a dubious point where like, they weren't sure I was ever going to finish. But um, <laughs> my in-laws are quite funny because um, when I was introduced to them, they, I was obviously sold as the doctor. And they're like, oh, I also got a doctor in the family. But as time's gone on, they'd be like, okay, so um, what antibiotics should I have? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and then every time, you know, my kids are unwell, they used to say, I'll oh, get Imran's opinion. But now they just say, can you just take him to a real doctor, please? <laughs> <laughs> They've worked it out. <laughs> it can be quite, yeah, they worked it out. And in fact, the other day, my, my father-in-law was asking me about, oh, Imran, look, I actually, I think I need your help. Like, I, I know someone that needs a scan of their heart, you know, and you do scans, don't you? And I thought, no, dad, I mean, that's an echocardiogram and that's a cardiologist. And he was like, when are you going to be useful? Like, when are you actually going to be useful to me <laughs> in my health? So, yeah, it's quite fun. I quite like it. Sometimes I think the only way that I'm ever helpful to any relatives or friends is perhaps getting a scan that they need quicker than they would have. Otherwise, yeah. that's about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's kind of like, mm, I don't really know about how to interpret prostate MRI, but I could get you on the list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know someone that could tell you. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, that's exactly the same, same as me. Uh, sometimes I get sent like, you know, orthopedic x-rays, you know, like someone's off in Japan or something and here's their ankle fracture and they're like, what should we do? And I'm like, I don't know. I know how to describe it. I don't know what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you handled that one pretty easily. I'm going to move on to another one. Okay. This is going to be okay. slightly trickier. They're going to ramp up progressively throughout this podcast. All right. So <laughs> oh, how about this one? You look like someone who would have thought about this. So if you could start a business tomorrow, what would that business be? And it can't be directly radiology related. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because um, I don't know, like, obviously, there's variations of businessman. And I am, yeah, like, yeah, I'm interested in business. And I guess thinking about it, I've got to be quite, I would be quite selfish in what I would start in terms of what would be useful for me. As someone who likes to do a lot of talking and likes to do presentations and stuff like that, then um, it, it'd be quite good to have someone to be able to actually, like, help with those kind of things. So, like, for example, I'm doing Radiopedia last year, and I did, I'm doing it this year for the um, for the conference. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of learning yourself in terms of how to use a group. I mean, I went a, probably a bit, I don't know if you've seen my talk, but I probably went a bit over top with, like, green screens and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I, 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 did, I did catch a bit of the green screen. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, but... I'm tempted to get one. <laughs> yeah, it's very cool. It's amazing. Like, you can literally put yourself anywhere. I was like, I was putting myself in space at some point just for the sake of it. I was never <laughs> going to share it, but it was very, very cool. But um, it's those kind of things that I'll, if someone is out there to say, look, I'm going to get your talk and I'm going to make it awesome. Green screens, I'm going to show you how to make jokes, how to put it mm -hmm. all together. I would go for someone like that to help me to make sure that I do the best talk possible. And if I were to start a business, it would probably be something along those lines to, to help people communicate their their things. Because we've got a world of experts, don't, don't we? But then not everyone is good at communicating in a fun and engaging way. And I think that's yeah. the, missing, the missing bit. I actually went to a, a course, it was called the teaching mm. course. And it was oh, yeah. for medical educators. And it didn't matter what specialty you were in. It was just teaching the general concepts of how to keep people engaged, slide design, mm. spaced repetition, all that kind of stuff. It was really, really cool. It was also, you know, a week off work to go and learn about these things. So that was fun. <laughs> Maybe we need a, a Radiopedia presenters course where people can come along and learn how to present like we do at our conferences. 
Yeah, that would be cool. Maybe, yeah, something to think about later Maybe on. Maybe no one would turn up. They'd be like, mm, no. Not listen to this guy. Why is he in space again? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. going to stick with my blue slides with yellow text. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I actually, similar to you, I did a uh, presentation course, but actually I did a stand-up comedy course because I thought, well, what are they um, doing to be so engaging? That you, because actually when you're presenting and when you're doing teaching, a lot of it is performance because if you do it enough times, yeah. it, is, it is essentially like being on stage. And so um, I went to a comedy course and it was very interesting as to how they formulate uh, jokes and how they even use repetition or they set your jokes up from ages ago to kind of give the punchline. And so now when I watch stand-up comedy, I can relate it back to that course. And I do try on some level to put that into some of my talks to try and be a little bit funny-ish. And I think um, there's a lot of things I can come across to make our our work more interesting and more fun for not just us, but people who are remotely interested in radiology and beyond. It's interesting. I have a few things in my trauma radiology course and emergency radiology course as well, where the first time I mention it in the course, I know it's a bit lame, but I'm doing it to set up for the payoff, which is in the finale. Mm. Like, you know, it's like four mm. hours later when I get to the, the reason why, <laughs> why am I saying this in the abdominal talk? It's because when I get to the finale, this is really going to hit. And, and, you know, sometimes you've got to do that. And that's what comedians do, right? They set things up. Yeah really early yeah, and then yeah. so they can come back to it yeah exactly uh, all right exactly. we better get back to the ao spine classification of upper cervical okay. injuries yeah. okay it's not all fun mm-hmm. and games <laughs> all right so we're now going to go through a series of specific injury types in the cervical mm-hmm. spine and how they'd be classified using the the ao system first there's a little sentence here it says combining the site and injury type together indicates the primary injury the nomenclature can either use the one two three in roman numerals site category or the actual name of the site that's what i was saying earlier they often just refer to it as oc for occipital condom Mm -hmm. all right so let's start from the top so we're starting with the 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 site one injuries so a site 1a also known as an oc type a that would be an occipital condyle fracture without any craniocervical dissociation makes sense Mm. and then a 1b would be a non-displaced occipital cervical joint complex craniocervical junction ligamentous injury so for example an alar ligament tear uh, often you need an mri to diagnose that and then the 1c would be the occipital cervical joint complex complete separation displacement so a, a big occipital dissociation injury mm. do you reckon you could literally get in some centers you could literally get away with like the one not a one word report just the classification and leave it at that like there'd be no words yeah. indication that and then like one a something 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 that's it done report <laughs> it's not necessarily even the radiologist making this classification i think it's just important to be mm. aware of it and i think it's really really going to be the trauma doctors and the spine surgeons who are applying the classification based on what you say, because as we'll learn later, when we get to neurology and the modifiers, a lot of that is clinical stuff that we don't really have access to anyway mm, yeah but i reckon if you if you wanted to you could incorporate it into the conclusion of your report just in brackets or something you know do you ever see that thing on twitter where someone was trying to decipher this um ctpa report and it just said the word nope and they're <laughs> like you know what does that mean nope <laughs> and it turned out it was like no pe <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah so you wonder whether you can get away with something like that nope <laughs> yeah. yeah it'd do the job though wouldn't it it'd do the job yeah exactly All right, let's move on to the site 2 injury. So a 2A Mm -hmm. would be a C1 fracture without any injury to the ligaments there. So the transverse ligament would be intact. 
and then mm. a 2B, uh, as we discussed earlier, would be you know a C1 fracture, so a Jefferson's fracture with an associated transverse uh, atlantal ligament injury, causing a little bit of lateral mass overhang. And then a type 2C would be a C1-2 atlantoaxial joint, you know, rotational, translational displacement injury, so, you know, an atlantoaxial subluxation. Hmm. And then we'll move on to the final one. So site 3, so site 3A, this would be a C2 fracture. So it could involve anything, you know, the dens, the body, the pedicle, posterior arch, but without any ligament or disc injury. And then type hmm. 3 B, this would be a C2 tension band ligamentous injury. Uh, so it could involve the individual disc or the posterior longitudinal ligament or ligamentum flavum, those kind of things. Uh, and that could result in angular instability, but not mm-hmm. gross translation. And then the type 3C is going to be your C2-3 pathologic translation with disc injury. So you can have facet joint subluxations or dislocations and, and disc injury with mm-hmm. translation. I mean, anatomically, they are different, aren't they? When you're talking about Atlanta axial versus like even C1 versus C2, they are anatomically very, very different. And it's interesting to see like what is important to know and what is important to communicate. And even if you didn't use this classification system per se, just having a read of that and knowing, okay, so these things are important to mention, whether you actually use a classification or not, these are the important negatives and positives, will actually make a big difference to the patient and their overall management moving forward. So it's actually quite um, a useful thing to go through. So we're going to finish off with the other two parts of the article, which mm-hmm. are the neurological signs and the modifiers. They're quite quick. But before we do that, guess what, Imran? It's <laughs> time for another random question, mate. Oh, oh look at that. All right, go on then. Head hit in me, hand. Hit me. <laughs> You're not excited. <laughs> no, no, I'm up for it. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to go for another hard one here. Okay. Oh, I haven't done this one on the podcast before. I might try this one. So what is an insult that you've received that you're actually quite proud of <laughs> insult that you're proud of an insult okay so um, i mean i've had a few insults over the years especially if you're on the social media space i mean you get a few thrown at you but um i think the one that i'm proud of like i actually think like that was cool uh i sent a, a what we call uh, an msf and it was meant to be sort of an anonymous feedback but it was it's not so anonymous if you know you know when it was done and who did it and stuff so um i sent one to my training program director back in the day and they and their sentence they said any other comments and they wrote imran does not act like a consultant radiologist <laughs> and i thought that is amazing like that's literally what i worked my entire life <laughs> it's probably why i'm on tiktok and faff around on the internet because that was when you were a registrar and and yet it holds true to this day does it <laughs> exactly they had me pegged they had me pegged yeah straight away <laughs> but i just thought you know what it just says a lot as to what people's expectations of a consultant is but i was thinking like does it really have to be like that like why can't you have a joke why can't you have a bit of fun why can't you play yeah. around and talk and uh, they were just a little bit serious you know so i was quite proud when she said that i was like yeah cool i'll take that <laughs> it is interesting when you have those multi-source feedback kind of things and you can look at it and even though it's anonymous you could look at the comment and you could go I know exactly who yeah. wrote that yeah I know that <laughs> like you get all these glowing <laughs> comments and then you get one that, that says this is something and you're like oh there's only one person who thinks that I know who that is <laughs> exactly not so anonymous it's a bit like that you know in scrubs you remember when he sent out anonymous feedback to everyone but he only sent one out to one person <laughs> <laughs> That's a good trick. That's a game I've always wanted to play. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's anonymous. Don't worry about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get back. Let's finish off this AO cervical spine injury classification article. Okay. The two last sections now. So the first one is going to be the neurological signs. 
And with this, it's actually the same for the subaxial cervical spine and the thoracolumbar spine as it is for the um, upper cervical spine. So when you learn this one, you've learned it all. You can apply it to all those other levels. All right, so neurological signs. And then we have, well, seven dot points here for neurological signs. So the first one is NX, and that means the patient cannot be examined. Uh, so presumably, you know, intubated, unconscious patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then N naught is neurologically intact, so no neurological deficits. So that's what you want to be. And then the next mm-hmm. one is N one, um, and so these are patients who have transient neurological injury, so something like paresthesia or numbness, but you know resolves you know, typically within the first twenty four hours after the injury. So that would mm-hmm. be an N one. N two is for radicular symptoms. So nerve root okay. pain. And then mm-hmm. N3 is an incomplete spinal cord injury. And then N4 is the worst one. That's a complete spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. And then the final dot point here is there's a little plus that you can add to any of these if there is continued spinal cord compression or or at least to the last two. If it says N3 plus, that means there's an incomplete spinal cord injury clinically, but mm. on your imaging, you've got continued spinal cord compression. So you can still see you know, disc material mm. or translation compressing the cord. Mm. So the plus okay. is something that we could report, I guess. But a lot of the other stuff there that, you know, N0, N1, N2, really that's all clinical, not something that we can suggest from the imaging study anyway. So I guess that's mm. not not something for us, but important to be aware of, I guess. You can get lost in the woods, can't you, when you've got a big significant fracture and all that kind of thing. You get spent so long describing it that you forget about the cord because you've got so many things to talk about. So it is important, again, to be aware that this is something to think about, at least, even if it's on CT alone. These days with CT, you can actually assess the the canal reasonably well. I mean, there's quite a few Mm. epidural hematomas and things that I've managed to, to spot on the CT uh, or, you know, disc mm. that's herniated out the back. So it is worth definitely looking at your soft tissue windows on your CT. And so don't just think about bones. And and as you said earlier, like you can spot ligamentous injuries as well, right? You know, you can see a bit of mm. disc widening or a bit of interspinous widening at the back. You can mm. see those facet joints widening up. It's not all just about the actual fractures. I think that's one of the things the trainees make the mistake of at the start. They're, all they're looking for is, is bony injuries and fractures. Yeah, exactly. All right, should we move on to the very final section, Imran? You're yeah, excited. Let's do it. <laughs> I live for this. You seem to get excited when I say I'm getting towards the end, but not excited when I do the random questions. So the <laughs> modifiers, M. Mm. Modifiers are optional patient-specific variables that may affect clinical outcome and therefore inform management. And there are four categories for the modifiers, so an M1 through to M4. So M1 mm is an injury at high risk of non-union with non-operative treatment. So our example we've got here is a fracture through the odontoid waist Mm -hmm. with significant displacement or angulation. Okay, so I guess we just know that those types of dense fractures are very high chance of non-union unless they're operated. So that gets an M1, even though, you know, it could be just an isolated bony injury, but it would get an M1 based on its fracture displacement. M2 is injury with significant potential for instability. It says here, for example, mid-substance tear of the transverse atlantal ligament, as opposed mm-hmm. to you know, a peripheral tear in it, or significant displacement of the C1 lateral masses greater than 6.9 millimetres in the coronal plane. Okay. So that's an M2, so significant potential. I mm-hmm. guess that applies mainly to those type B 
injuries where you've kind of got some ligamentous injuries and you haven't got gross subluxation or translation, but you just know that this is a ligamentous injury that's quite significant, even though there's no displacement. When you do more Mm. of uh, mechanical testing, stress testing, it's likely to be uh, significant. Uh, Mm. And then the next one is M3. So these are patient-specific factors that may affect treatment. So age, comorbidity, smoking status, bone diseases. Makes sense. Mm. I imagine things like ankylosing spondylitis would be a really important one. Yeah. Even bad osteoarthritis, you get bridging osteophytes can be a center of fractures and stuff. Absolutely. That's one thing we do report in our trauma CT spines. Mm. Even if you see no injury at all, we often will comment on the degree of degenerative disease in that spine because Mm. we know that even, you know, if you've got moderate to severe degenerative disease in the cervical spine, you can have a completely normal looking uh, CT study with no fracture and you can do an MRI Mm. and you can find that they've got a disc or ligamentous injury on that. Mm. Um, Whereas if you've got, you know, no degenerative disease and a normal looking cervical spine CT, the chance of picking up something on MRI is a very, very slim. Mm. The actual risk factor of degenerative disease, you know, age, uh, largely is really important in that setting for those occult disc and ligamentous injuries. Mm. All right, moving on to the next one. So the final one is M4, and this is vascular injury or abnormality affecting treatment. And the examples they have here are vertebral artery dissection, pseudoaneurysm, transection, or arteriovenous fistula. You know, all of these upper cervical injuries really meet the Denver criteria for performing a, a CTA for looking for blunt cerebrovascular injury. I don't know what your experience has been in the UK, but in the last 10 years here in Australia, we've gone from occasionally performing a CTA in trauma patients to almost always performing cervical spine, Mm. um, CTA, neck CTA, particularly, you know, if they've had, you know, a high mechanism of injury, even if you haven't spotted an injury at this stage, just on the primary CT, we're often performing a CT angiogram. And although I hate having to look through the thousands of slices and spot incidental aneurysms and all those kind of things, I must say that we do pick up a lot more blunt cerebrovascular injuries than we used to. What's your experience in the UK? You know, similar. I did some time in a trauma centre in St. Mary's and, um, yeah, again, we had quite a low threshold for doing CTAs. And um, after a while, once you've seen the kind of breadth of things that can happen to people, you start to realise that I don't think it's such a bad thing to have a low threshold. I mean, um, you went to cricket, right? So there was that guy, it was Philip Hughes. I think he was playing cricket and ball hit his neck. So... I mean, for me anyway, I mean, cricket's no, not like MMA, is it? Like, why, why would a cricketer have this kind of injury? But actually, when you think about the anatomy and the kind of things that can happen, the breadth of possibility, yeah, I mean, why would you say no? And I've seen some very random things. Like, um, I think one guy, he, what was he doing? I think he was trying to get into his loft, right? And then I don't know what the Australian lofts are like, where you even have lofts, but you know, we've got these lofts and you pull down the ladder and it slides down, but this, this one slid and hit his head and it jerked his head back. Yeah. And then he's having weakness, and then he ended up getting CTA, and it turned out he had a blunt cerebrovascular incident. For me, anyway, I always ask myself, is it possible? And if it's possible, then we should just do the scan. And most of the time in these high-velocity injuries, blunt injuries, is a possibility. And if you've got any sort of symptoms, just do the CTA. And I've noticed that it has increased over time that we're doing these. And what about from a teleradiology point of view? Are you seeing a lot of CTAs performed for teleradiology Mm. science as well? Yeah, yeah. I think, in fact, one of the big questions that ask us before we start is that, like, can you report these to a you know, decent enough level? And so we aren't expected to give quite a neuroradiology level of understanding and interpretation, but we are expected to give sort of at least an initial um, interpretation of it. So, yeah, I do get a fair few these days. And then there's the, uh, the BIFL classification for, for those injuries as well, which is worth mm. knowing. But that's for another time. That's for another time, yeah, Imran. Yeah. Guess what? We've made it to the end of the article, mate. 
Wow, that's the most reading I've done in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't read a thing, mate. You just you just reacted. You're like one of those YouTubers who just reacts to things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I've got something called Speechify. Have you heard of Speechify? No, what's Speechify? So I don't like to read very often in truth. So Speechify is something where it, it reads the page for you. So um, hey. sometimes like I get something, but yeah, I get the app to read whatever I'm meant to be reading. So usually it's like something from my child's school. They've emailed some big newsletter. But the cool thing about Speechify is you can make it read in different people's voices. And one of them is Snoop Dogg. And <laughs> oh, listen gosh. to He is so good. Yeah, so good. trust me. If you haven't done this already, mate, you've got to listen to a Radiopedia article in Snoop Dogg. It's just a different experience. It's just a different experience completely. It really makes me laugh. I might send you a recording. Yeah, if you could hook me up with a recording, I will play. I'll play that as we as we fade <laughs> out, and then as the as the outro comes up with Gaylord, and we can we can then react yeah, yeah. to the Snoop Dogg Radiopedia. Yeah, article. let's do it. I'll send it to you later. <laughs> now, the obviously the AO spine classification also has uh, thoracolumbar spine injuries and the subaxial cervical spine. Mm. So, if you're keen, mate, we could come back and and do those. I think. I think the subaxial one and the thoracolumbar spine one are actually more popular than the upper cervical spine okay. one. They're probably even in more in more use. So maybe we'll work our way okay. down and head for the subaxial next time. Yeah, let's do it. We should also let people mm. know that um, you mentioned it earlier, but uh, you're going to be joining us at Radiopedia 2023 this year. Mm. You've recorded yeah. an MSK radiology lecture which I think is probably going to win the award. We don't have an award for this, but it, if there was, <laughs> you'd win the award for best title of a lecture at the conference it's titled gym injuries torn while getting ripped (laughs) it involves green screens and and everything yeah like i said i think it's very important to try and be engaging as possible and i could have just done slides but i thought well why don't i just try and see how it goes and uh, like you said there's gonna be green screens and clips and alarm bells because not everyone wants to see someone's arm being ripped open in the middle of a bicep yeah yeah some um, trigger warnings in there isn't there yeah i do i do yeah so that'll appear on day four along with a bunch of other great msk lectures so if people are really Mm. interested to find out what imran does with a green screen then uh, register (laughs) for the conference and check that one out now you got time for one final random question mate before we head off yeah go on then go on then all right, here we go. Oh, I, I often end with this one, so I, I reckon you'll okay. have an answer to this. So have you got any one-line philosophy or mantra that you live by? <laughs> you know, this always changes depending on the decade of life I'm in. So I think I feel like I'm going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> you I haven't lived that on. many decades, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to be one of these people who kind of seem to quite like bad guys in films and, and stories and stuff. And if you've got a good bad guy, I'm quite satisfied and um it's hard to find a good bad guy, right? Like at one point I was watching, I don't know if you're into Star Wars, and I, I would say I'm not into Star Wars, but I watch anything, anything to do with Star Wars. Like Andor. Yeah, I watch all of that, yeah. And then um, yeah. I think there's one point where I think in Obi-Wan, Darth was walking through a village and he was just using the force on people randomly, like completely. And I thought, wow, this guy is bad, yeah. <laughs> but then he was ultimately disappointing because he kind of didn't quite finish the way I thought he'd do. And it's a bit like, you know, in... Um, Austin Powers, when I think they're going to try and get the bad guy, the, the, get, the good guy's going to get you know killed and stuff. And the guy's like, okay, look, what we're going to do and get little shots and little lasers. And then he's like, no, mate, just can you just finish the job? <laughs> so um, of all the bad guys there's been, I've always liked Thanos. I found him to be absolutely relentless, ruthless, and completely unwilling to uh, negotiate on anything. And one of the lines I keep saying is, I am inevitable. In the middle of my midlife crisis, uh, and you know, actually, which is the perfect storm for what our gym talk is, because I started going to the gym. 
I started to use that line and my the, the person who I trained with was like, why do you keep saying that? And I was like, well, I don't know. It just seems to keep coming to my mind. Like when it gets really hard, I take, keep telling myself, I am inevitable. And it start, it's something that I've started to live by. And the, uh, to make more sense of it, I started to think of like, if I want to achieve something, how do I make it more likely that I'm going to get to where I want to get to? And so I need to try and make things as inevitable as possible to, to be able to get to where I want to get to. Oh, so right, for example, yeah. with the gym, I need to have a gym membership. I need to go with someone four times a week. I need to have the food sent to my house. And so then you start stacking things in your favor to the point that it's almost inevitable that you're going to get somewhere. Like I'm not saying yeah, yeah, yeah. to become model level, but that's the idea. So I've been trying to kind of push that to other areas of my life, like trying to think, okay, if I'm going to get somewhere, how do I make it inevitable? How do I become inevitable in that, whatever that area might be? So I know it's a weird one, but um, I'm not trying to get rid of half the world. I'm just, you know. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. You're not trying to get rid of half the population. Although, I mean, technically it would be useful, wouldn't it, for global warming and all those kind of things. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, he had some good points. He had some good points. But anyway, yeah. It's, for those people who don't know the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe and what Thanos did, mm. he kind of instantaneously got rid of all half of all life i think in the universe mm. or something um and so mm. you know half of all humans just suddenly disappeared and it was completely random so that you know suddenly your wife is no longer there and then there's yeah. you know a period of time where she's not around and then you you know you find another wife and then it got reversed right and then yeah. suddenly your wife <laughs> is back but you've got a new wife that's an interesting uh, interesting yeah. plot device isn't it yeah, there was a lot of interesting things that came out of it. People have really looked into like what would be the implications of getting rid of half the half the living creatures on the planet and uh, <laughs> become inevitable, everyone. And you know what's inevitable? It's inevitable that this podcast will needs to end, but also inevitable that as it ends, Snoop Dogg is going to read us a snippet <laughs> of an article from Radiopedia. There you go. Uh, there you go. Imran, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I uh, hope to have you back soon to do another AO yeah. spine classification. We'll see you at Radiopedia 2023. And uh, yeah. I'll throw now to Snoop Dogg. <laughs> All right, bye, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for having me, yeah? Thanks, mate. All see right. ya. Bye. The AO spine classification of upper cervical injuries is a concise and comprehensive system for categorizing the spectrum of traumatic bony and ligamentous injuries involving the occipital condyles, atlas cone, or axis sequel. The D O double G Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I reckon that text of voice would have been even better if he just randomly added in a few faux shizzles here and there. <laughs> what uh, what voice would you pick to read radiology reports out? Oh, I don't know. I'll have to have a little. What voice would you pick? I was thinking about this, and it's like it has to be the bunk from The Wire. Have you watched The Wire? Yes, a long time ago. Oh, it's fantastic. And there's yeah. that scene where, um, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? I think we have to put explicit on it, but we could do it. I could. We can beep it out or... I mean, there's that one scene where he and McNulty right, are If you do it, then I'll do a swear word afterwards as well, if you do one. <laughs> <laughs> there's a scene that's fantastic, which is uh, the bunk and McNulty go out mm-hmm. to investigate the shooting of a young woman. And the entire scene, it goes for maybe five, ten minutes, mm-hmm. is them doing their thing, being cops. But unlike CSI where they explain everything they're doing, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just doing it and they're just saying, fuck, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> motherfucker. It's fantastic. Fuck. It's amazing. 
And I was thinking the bunk has such a deep, sonorous voice, especially yeah. if your AI could add swear words in the middle of your radiology <laughs> report sort of randomly. Keep you entertained. <laughs> well, if we're gonna do if we're gonna do the wire, what about the other character of the wire is Clay Davis. Ah, uh, yes. Isaiah Whitlock Jr. who plays that. And he says I'm going to do a swear word as well. He's like, shit. I'm not allowed to do accents, though. I'm banned from accents, but he's like, shit, shit, boy. <laughs> but he does the really shit. long, she. Shit. <laughs> Maurice Dolby for governor, shit, boy. That makes me want to watch that series again. That's such a good show. My God. Thinking of voices, this, this reminds me a little bit of when, like, first-year radiology registrar and you have to train your voice recognition. And I remember, so it's like first week of being a radiology registrar and I'm training it in the reporting room and people start laughing <laughs> because the way I'm training it, you're like, you're reading out the things, but the yeah. way I'm training it, it's like I'm reading the intro to the podcast. It's like, welcome once again. <laughs> it's like, there is a nodule in the upper zone. It's like, <laughs> and they're like, you realize you've just got to read it the way you would normally do it <laughs> it's not a performance dixon yeah. sorry i've done a bit of acting in the past i don't know if i can say this on the podcast but um in this episode we can anything goes in this <laughs> one reminded me of when we first introduced voice recognition and a number of people from different departments in the hospital were chosen as the sort of super user test users that mm -hmm, would go mm -hmm. through the process first and um, because People think that I know things about computers, therefore, obviously, voice recognition is for me. I was one of them. And there was this other person that I won't say which hospital or which department they were from, but they were chosen from their department. And um, they had to do the training, but they had a speech impediment, which meant they couldn't say the letter R. And so to do weightyology twaining... <laughs> using dwagon voice recognition <laughs> was and he was like this doesn't work very well <laughs> oh, gosh. i found the opposite though some of the people in my department who have strong accents i find that their voice recognition is often perfect like i can't understand what they're saying but i look at the screen and as oh. it comes up i'm like oh that's what he said oh that's perfect <laughs> whereas i'm talking and i feel like you know i'm talking okay and it's getting it all over the place but yeah i'm always surprised ours isn't dragon though <laughs> our voice recognition is not dragon anymore but it's it's it might as well be it's it's <laughs> terrible Anything else from that episode that you wanted to chat about? There was something that you and Imran talked about at the very end, which was about the likelihood. Thanos. Yeah, let's not start with Thanos. He's a... Oh, we're swearing, right? He's a dick. <laughs> um, no, the idea that the likelihood of having an abnormal next scan, in, in this case, the mm -hmm. MR, cervical spine, how likely you are to find something that was missed on CT is influenced by the scan that you're reading. Mm -hmm. So if you have a perfectly pristine looking young person cervical spine and it looks normal, mm -hmm. you're really unlikely to find something unexpected on the MR. Whereas if you've got a mangy old degenerative spine with lots of osteophytes or streak artifact or whatever, then you can hide a lot more. That's not something that we often comment on. I did just the other day, and that's why it sort of rang a note with me. But I wonder whether we should be indicating that more in reports. How much do you assume clinicians know mm -hmm. about imaging and how much should we be, you know, 
explaining. When I'm reporting a lumbar spine in a patient referred by a GP or a general practitioner, then I've got a template that adds the incidence of degenerative disc change, facet joint degenerative change, et cetera, in asymptomatic individuals. And I put that at the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, which is based on age. And it says, you know, in asymptomatic 40 to 60-year-olds, the following findings are found. And it's like 50% desiccated discs, 60% osteophytes, whatever. And then it's something along the lines of, we report these in the report because they're there, but that does not imply that they're symptomatic because they're commonly found in asymptomatic people. Mm -hmm. And I started doing that. And within a few weeks, I got a couple of emails saying, oh, thank you so much. That's really helped. It it created a lot of problems receiving these reports that just listed abnormalities, Mm -hmm. but didn't contextualize them because then you felt pushed by the report and by the patient into referring because there's, you know, a desiccated disc. Well, that must be bad. It sounds like an abnormality. And so having the context that, no, actually, you know, more people have them than not when you're 60 and it doesn't mean very much is really useful. I'm going to allow you to have discussed that even though you've discussed it on the podcast. Oh, have I? Before. (laughs) But that's all right. It is relevant again. It's relevant. And and not everyone's listened to every episode. And we are up to episode 20 or something. We can't possibly only say things we've never said before. Well, I mean, we can try, can't we? <laughs> Even if there just... probably needs to be less of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah perhaps. <laughs> Even if you try just for my benefit. <laughs> uh, all right, we better wrap this episode up, Frank. So how can people get in contact with us? Well, we're at Radiopedia on Twitter and Instagram, as well as at Frank Gaylard and at Dr. Andrew Dixon. And you can email us at podcast at radiopedia.org with ideas and feedback. If you have your own feedback or criticism about my introductory spiel for the for the top of the podcast and want me to adjust a word on your behalf, then by all means, reach out. Perhaps you want Snoop Dogg to read it instead of me. Whatever you like, you know, just send it in and I'll do my best to cater for everyone. <laughs> and don't forget that if you want to help Radiopedia, then you can become a paid supporter via the website or purchase an all-access pass to our online courses and conference. In doing so, you'll be able to help us give away all of our courses and our conference for free to people in 125 low and middle income countries. And three weeks or so to go until the I know, conference, it's all, Frank. It's all very hectic at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> it's very busy. Very Especially busy for all these people that, like you that don't do things early. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm too busy helping everybody else with their stuff. That's my problem. Yeah. Now- What else can people do to help out, Frank? You can also help us by leaving a five-star review in the podcast app of your choosing. Excellent. All right, let's do the the sign-off here. Hey, can you get Snoop Dogg to say stay rad? Well, how about you do your best Snoop Dogg? I can't do Snoop Dogg. (laughs) (laughs) And no, I I can swear on the podcast, but I'm not going to get cancelled for doing a dodgy (laughs) accent. (laughs) But you usually do such a good stay red when you've been having a drink. I've noticed that. <laughs> those, those episodes are particularly good. All right, here we go. And we'll catch you all again sometime soon in the reading room. Stay rad, everyone. Stay rad. Oh, wow. He just got a, a Cuban cigar and put it in the side of his mouth as he did that. That's amazing, Gaylord. That's a, that's a Tom Waits <laughs> sign-off. <laughs> Stay rad, everyone. Stay <laughs> rad. All right, see you later, mate. See you see next you, week. See you, Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.